helping us sing today. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, you're welcome. It's good to have you here. Somebody asked me, hey, well, my family said, well, we have very many in church. I said, we'll have a lot of people out because of the way the day falls, but we'll have some visitors. And we're so glad you're here today. I want you to turn to the first gospel, the first book in the New Testament, the first page in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. And we'll look there in just a minute in Matthew chapter 1. I want to bring a Christmas message this morning. Those are not easy for, for preachers. I don't know if you know that. It doesn't mean they're not, they're not biblical. But uh, they're not easy. At least they're not for me. And I've read most preachers say they struggle with them. So I hope this will be helpful to you. I don't travel overseas a whole lot. I've been... Uh, uh, several times, but not not regularly. But uh, if you've ever traveled traveled internationally, when you land in a foreign country, and even in our country, if you're coming from overseas, there's, there's a booth. As soon as you land, they're going. You, you get through customs on the other side, and it's called currency exchange, and it's an opportunity for you to take your money. And exchange it with the currency of the nation where you're at. And some countries will, will take the American dollar. But uh, they, they won't give you change in American dollars. Uh, they want to keep the dollar if the dollar's high over there especially. So if you try to do business in that country with American currency, it's not going to work. They're not going to accept it. And the same thing is true in the kingdom of God. You cannot do the work of God with the ways of the world. Let me phrase it this way. You cannot do the work of God with the currency of the world. You've got to use God's currency to do His work. And it takes a long time to learn that. We hear that preached and taught and so forth. But I'm afraid that, uh, I know in my own life, that we, we do that by experience. And then we come up and we hit a wall, and we hit a wall, and we hit a wall. And then we realize that I'm worldly in my thinking. I'm trying to use unbiblical currency in this particular situation. Because I'm going by what's instinctive to me. What feels good. Let me tell you what, uh, what's an unbiblical statement. Is to, to follow your heart. Uh, that's not biblical. All right, let me give you another one. Just use common sense. That's not biblical. Uh, now, if your common sense is guided by biblical values, then, then you, can, you can go with that. But many times your common sense will get you into trouble. We'll say more about that in just a moment. But I want to uh, open this message with a question, and this is really what we're going to launch from this morning and, and what I want to talk to you about, is how does an unremarkable person... Live a remarkable life. How does an unremarkable person live a remarkable life? There are two people in the Bible that are, well, more than that, but there are two people we're going to look at, well, one person, but I'm going to look at two real quickly, that are unremarkable, but they live very remarkable lives, and that is Joseph and Mary. And that's really kind of what I want to talk to you about this morning, about how that an 
unremarkable person can live a remarkable life or a Christmas miracle and how that God can take your simple life and, and make it a miracle. What does it take to be involved in a miracle where God can take your life and transform it and uh, make it a supernatural life? And we don't know a lot about Joseph and Mary, but w- what we do know is that they were not remarkable people. But God chose this couple to be part of the one of the most remarkable events in all of history. And they had specific qualities that God was looking for, now listen carefully, to be the parents of his son. That's what I want you to get this morning. What were the qualities, and especially Joseph, we're going to look at him, that these had, and especially Joseph, that qualified them to be the parents of his son Jesus. I want you to note, and we're not going to look in the text, I'm just going to throw some verses up on the screen to consider uh, that they were simple people. Joseph was a simple man. Uh, Jesus was speaking to a crowd one day, and his words were so effective, and they were so kind, and they were so gracious, that the people were taken back. And Luke chapter 4, and verse 22, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, that, speaking of Christ, that they all bear him witness And they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Now watch this. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Now pay attention to that. Is not this Joseph's son? Now why why did they say that? Because Joseph didn't have a pedigree. He didn't come from a big educational institution. Uh, Joseph was a carpenter. Matthew chapter 13 says Uh, Joseph worked with his hands. He was a hard worker. Uh, Joseph was a mason. Um, He he was a stone, worked with stones and and built houses. He framed houses and so forth. A very diligent man. Uh, He was a common man, if you will. He was a simple man. Mary was a simple lady. And her song, we call it Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 and verses 46 through 48. Mary said, watch this, my soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded, pay attention to this, the low estate of his handmaiden. The word handmaiden there means servant. She was a common servant. Uh, It doesn't mean that she just had a servant's attitude where she served others. She was a servant, almost like a slave. The Bible says she confessed that she was a one of low estate. She, she said, I'm just a simple person. Why do I have this privilege to be able to, to be the, the mother of the Messiah? Of Jesus, when Jesus spoke, they said, is this Joseph's son? Why, why would he come from misunderstanding? I'll get to this in a moment. But misunderstanding that Jesus would be associated with Joseph. Joseph was simple. Mary was simple. If you were going to invest the care of your son to earthly parents, what kind of parents would they be? Well, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about Joseph and Mary, but what it does say is very, very powerful. And, uh, of course, you know this, that though Joseph raised Jesus, he was not Jesus' father. This is not the dominant part of my message, but I must mention it here so you'll understand this. 
Because this is the theme of Christmas. Joseph was Jesus' stepfather. The Bible teaches that Jesus did not have an earthly father. That Jesus was virgin born. We sing it in the Christmas carols. Um, It's in many confessions of faith. Many people reject this. Liberal theologians reject it because it requires a supernatural, because it, it pales the human mind. We cannot comprehend it. One man said this. He said, if God could make Adam without a woman, why could not he create a body for Christ without a man? Well, of course he could. God's in the creating business. And Joseph was not Jesus' father. He was his stepfather. I'll show you that in just a moment. Without the virgin birth, there is no Christianity. It is a fundamental of Christian doctrine. It is a cardinal doctrine. There is no forgiveness without Christ being the Son of God, without being virgin born. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. What kind of things are corruptible? He says, from your vain conversation, as you were taught by the tradition of your fathers, he says, you've been taught wrong like silver and gold and other things like that. You're not saved by your works or what you can give and so forth. But here's the contrast. Watch this. With the precious blood of Christ. You see, you're saved by the blood of Christ. And the blood comes from the Father. The blood had to be pure. Your sin nature comes from your father. That's why the Bible says that you're, you can't go to heaven not of blood. Because my, my sin keeps me from going to heaven. Not of blood. The Bible says I need the blood of Jesus to get into heaven. And, and the blood of Christ had to be the sacrifice, a pure sacrifice. Pay attention to the verse. But with the precious The valuable blood of Jesus. Look at it. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And the only way he could do that was to be virgin born. That blood had to be taken, I believe, with all of my heart. When he ascended up to heaven after his resurrection, be applied to the mercy seat that was in heaven. Just like the priest did here on earth. That Jesus Christ did that for us in heaven. And I believe we'll see it. The Bible says that those things here on earth were a shadow of realities. What is the reality? I believe it was there in heaven. And that you will see that. The Bible teaches in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14. In the Old Testament, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by Christ's own blood, he entered in once. And many times they had sacrifices of animals. But Jesus, because his blood was holy and without sin, because he was virgin born, he entered in once into the holy place, having, and that's when he went in and put the blood upon the mercy seat, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Can I say this? This is not the emphasis, but you can't miss it here. That's one of the reasons I believe in eternal security, because he obtained eternal redemption for us. It's forever. You can't lose it. When Jesus died, he died for you one time, not many times, but one time. And it's eternal redemption, the Bible says. And then he, he just uses reasoning. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, 
sanctify to the purifying of the flesh from year to year, well then how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, now pay attention to this, offereth himself without spot. Don't miss that. Offereth himself without spot to God. Sprinkleth your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Did you know the Bible there says he offereth himself to God? That Jesus did not just die for you, he died for God. Jesus died for God. He died for the penalty of sin. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. In whom, the whom there, the pronoun is Jesus. In whom we have redemption through his blood. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We have the forgiveness of sin. My record has been cleared because of his blood. And his blood is pure because he was, he was virgin born. And in the backdrop of, of this story of the virgin birth of Jesus, as you'll see as we read here in the passage, is, is a relationship between Joseph and Mary, and that's here in the text, obvious, who loved each other and they planned on getting married. And then this problem was dropped into their lives that they didn't see. And I want to talk to you about the problem about two people that were very unremarkable. At least we would think they were back then. But in the father's eyes, they were very remarkable and they end up being a part of something very remarkable. And you can too. Other people may not think you're, you have very much going, but the father sees something different. Look at the text with me, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused, pay attention to that, espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet. This is Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Spoken by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, after he heard this, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. Took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I want you to notice in verse 18, I highlighted it there, but the word espoused. When as his mother, Christ's mother Mary, was espoused to Joseph. We get the word spouse from that, obviously. The book of Matthew was written to all of us. But it has a special bent to the Jewish people. Each gospel has a special emphasis. And the word fulfilled is used more in Matthew than any other gospel. 
And it, it talks to the Jewish people particularly to let them know how, how the gospel in the Old Testament was fulfilled to let them know that Christ is the Messiah. And uh, this, this espousal was like, is not fully like, and I'll explain this more fully here, but in a comparative way to, to our engagement period, but, but not totally. It was a part of their marriage. It was just like their being married, where engagement, our engagement is not being married. But for them, it was just like being married, but without the physical relationship. Now, let me explain. There were two parts to a Jewish married marriage. First of all, was the betrothal stage. This was the espousal stage. This is when either parents of two uh, children would come together, and they would arrange a marriage, or two individuals could do this. And they would uh, draw up a binding contract to promise each other that they were going to be married. Now, marriage is a covenant. But in the betrothal stage, it was a promise that they were going to be married. And this lasted for one year. Now, the purpose of this being one year was to be able to prove their fidelity, to see if the lady was pure and uh, that there, there's no baby involved, to prove that the man is pure, that there's no accusations made, and that if any time during this one-year period, then they could be divorced. I'm not going to delve into this heavy, but that's one of the issues when you get into the subject of divorce in Matthew and Mark and Luke and different views of divorce in, in the gospel of Matthew. It's called the betrothal view. But anyhow, this was in their espousal stage when uh, Joseph and Mary were married during this betrothal view. We would call it engagement, but it's different. It was just like they were married, but there was no physical relationship. In fact, they would be more or less like dating, but they were considered married. After the one-year period of time, Obviously, it takes a child nine months to develop, so they could prove the fidelity. Then they could be officially married, and then the marriage could be consummated physically. But during this time, as I said, they, they were considered husband and wife. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband. Joseph, her husband. Now, in verse 18, it says they were espoused, but they... This was her husband. As I said, they were considered husband and wife. Now, when she found out that she was pregnant, it was during this espousal time. It was during this engagement time, during this betrothal time. Now, because of this, it it, it threw, obviously, a monkey wrench into the thing because of them caring for one another and Joseph's feelings. And then all of a sudden... um, What were people going to think? But I want you to notice that Mary was morally pure at this time of engagement, of betrothal. In fact, the Bible is so careful to emphasize this. You know, I've said this from the pulpit before, but I know I'm laboring this morning, but I'm not feeling well, so appreciate your patience with me. But if Mary, if Mary had not been pure and clean, she would have missed the pinnacle moment in her life. Think of that. She would have missed, she, this, un, this unremarkable lady would have missed the most remarkable moment of her life. 
because of compromises that she would have made. But I want you to notice in the Bible there, look at verse 18. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> look at the last line. Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 20. Look at the last line. The Bible says, That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Of the Holy Ghost. Now, Joseph is just finding all this out. Let me get me some water here. This may help me. Now, this begs a question. It's a very sacred question. And I realize I'm treading on sacred ground here. But how did this happen? I mean, uh, you know, we can't fully understand this, but I'm going to tell you what I know, what the Bible teaches. You can't just guess at these things. When uh, the angel came to Mary and told her what was happening in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 34 and 35, here's what Mary did. Watch this. Then said Mary unto the angel, she said, you're going to have a baby. Remember, she's married in the betrothal stage, but they had not had a relationship sexually. She said, how shall this be? So there's the question, how? In other words, this is impossible. Can I, can I phrase it this way? She says, this would be a remarkable thing. This would be an impossible thing. This can't happen. I mean, what you're saying to the Lord, basically, is this isn't going to happen. And she said, I know not a man. The word know is a euphemism for a sexual relationship in the Bible. I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Now, a couple of things there. I want to pause. The power of the highest. The power of God did this. And the Bible says he did it by overshadowing her. Now, what does that mean? Let's keep reading. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. When uh, Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, the Bible says that a bright cloud overshadowed them. That's the same word there, exactly the same Greek word. The word means to cast shade upon. It means to be enveloped in a haze of brilliant light. It also has the idea of being influenced in a supernatural way. All of those ideas come into it. In some, some miraculous, mysterious way, and I'm going to give you a scripture on this later. God, the Holy Spirit, supernaturally implanted the seed of God within Mary's womb. That was not defiled by sin. And, and this, is, this is the mystery of Christmas to me. I stay up late sometimes thinking about it. That Jesus Christ, who was never created, there are some cults that believe he was, that God created Christ. See, Jesus Jesus wasn't created here. He always existed. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He always has been and always will be. He always has been. But in in that moment... 
when he, when he was implanted in the womb, the Son of God, God himself, Philippians 2 teaches this, humbled himself and he was limited to the seed that developed in the womb of a woman. Now, I confess that I, I cannot comprehend that and I don't think we'll ever be able to. But because our minds are so tainted by the things of the world and, and immorality and sensuality. But I'm telling you, it's a wonder that God would do that for us. That he would humble himself. The Christmas carols, his mercy mild. The mercy of God. The mildness of God. The humility of God. To humble himself like that. But Jesus was virgin born. Don't ever let anybody tell you he wasn't. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The first promise of the gospel in the Bible. Early in the Bible. God told the devil. He said I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Between thy seed and her seed. It, that is, her seed will bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's what happened on the cross. If you ever had a, a wounded heel, you know it hurts. But a wounded, heel, a wounded head is a fatal wound. And Jesus took his wounded heel and fatally wounded the head of the serpent on the cross and in the resurrection. But in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it talks about the seed of the woman. And stay with me. A woman doesn't have seed. A man has seed. But the Bible in Genesis 3 in the first mention of the gospel talks about the seed of the woman. It was a virgin birth. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Made of a woman. Not made of a man. Not made of a woman and a man. Made of a woman. You see this Christ child. This Messiah. 100% God. 100% man. That came forth from Mary. Was a pure sacrifice. Without sin. That came to pay our eternal sin debt. Humbled himself before God. So that we could be saved. Now with that as the backdrop. This step-parent, this stepfather, I want to look at him, Joseph, this great, great man, one of the greatest men in all the Bible. I want to meet him in heaven one day. And I want us to look at these principles, these couple of principles quickly, about the kind of person that God chooses to be a miracle. And I want to present these in verse in a negative way. They're stated positively in the passage and answer this question, what hinders a person from living a remarkable life? And may God help us with this. I want you to live a remarkable life. I've always wanted that, but at my age now, I especially want it for you. You precious young people, you college kids, you young couples. I want you to have a remarkable life. The first thing that hinders us from living a remarkable life is impurity. Being impure. Joseph was not an impure man. 
I've already stated that, but notice what the Bible says in verse 19 in Matthew chapter 1. That Joseph, her husband, being a just man, he was a just man. The word just there means innocent. It means righteous. It speaks not only of his behavior, but of his position before God. Let me put it this way. Joseph was a Christian. He was a godly man. He not only acted godly, but he was godly. There was a time in Joseph's life when he realized his need of mercy, that he needed to be forgiven. And he went and told God, he said, God, I've broken your law and I need mercy. And he went and he secured the sacrifices, those animal sacrifices that he needed for his sins. And he was declared righteous before God, looking forward to the cross. And out of that behavior, out, uh, excuse me, out of that standing of righteousness came righteous behavior. And because he was justified, he behaved in a just way. Listen, you cannot act long term out of what you do not have. The fruit always betrays the root. I've taught you this so many times. I think sometimes we, we think some people, well, they just need to rededicate their life. Well, maybe they do, but most people, they, they need to be saved. You see, it doesn't mean you're perfect. I'm going to show you cases in a moment. But I'm telling you, once you become a Christian, once you trust Christ as your Savior, once you get a position, and, and, and you can begin to live out of what God has done in your life. This man was, was a godly man. Impurity will keep you from being remarkable. Let me give you some examples here because this theme is all through Scripture. I see it in Noah's life. The man who, who built the ark, the one who, who saved the world, as it were, from God, from, from starting another world. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Watch this. Noah was a just man. He was a godly man. He had offered the sacrifices. Now the Bible says he was a perfect man. That doesn't mean he was without sin. It means he was without blemish. He was without stain. He was a consistent man, if you would. And then the Bible says that Noah walked with God. Now that doesn't mean that Noah was perfect. You remember what happened when the ark landed and I don't understand all of this, but the Bible says that Noah got drunk and Noah sinned. But here the Bible says that Noah was a just man. Noah was a part, listen, of an amazing story. He was a part of a miracle. Noah, Noah was a, an unremarkable man that was a part of a remarkable story because he was a man that was pure. Then you see John the Baptist's life. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 20, the Bible says that Herod, who was the king, he feared John, knowing that he was a just man and he was a holy man. And again, John wasn't perfect. There were times in his life, even at the end of his life, things weren't going well, and he began to doubt. He had some doubts in his life. But what an amazing, an amazing life he lived. What an incredible man he was. A simple man, you see the way that he dressed and so forth. But he had a godly heritage. And here is a man that God used because he was a pure man. 
And then a Christmas illustration, the man Simeon, God promised Simeon, who was an old man, he said, you will not die till you see the Messiah. And he got to hold the baby Jesus there. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 25, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Listen, these are unremarkable people on their own. But they had some very remarkable experiences. And I could give you other illustrations, but time doesn't allow me. But the reason they did was not because of their giftedness, but it was because of their holiness. It was because they were just. Can I put it this way? It was because they were innocent. It doesn't mean they were perfect. But they were saved, they were justified, and out of, out of that, that Christian walk came, came a life of purity. The same word when the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19 that Joseph was a just man is used of John the Baptist's parents. I want to show you this, and I'll show you up on the screen because of time. Luke chapter 1 and verse 6 Speaking of Zacharias and Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God. The word righteous here is the word just. Elizabeth and Zacharias, they were just, they were innocent, they were holy, they were righteous before God. Well, what does that mean? Look at it. Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. You know what's interesting to me? Is that when God chose a stepfather for Jesus and also a mother for Jesus, he chose someone that was just and righteous. And when he chose parents for John the Baptist, he chose parents that were just and holy. Mama and daddy, listen, do not underestimate the power and the importance of your holiness before your children. Don't you do it. I was on the phone this past week for an hour with a friend of mine that I've known for many years. And his father greatly disappointed him. He'd broken his heart. And the family is fractured. And I don't know that it'll ever be put back together again. Don't you ever. Don't you ever. Discount what you do. Listen, the way you walk is more important than what you know or how much money you make. I want you to notice that that Joseph's godliness was influenced. I'm sorry, his godliness influenced the way that he treated his wife. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her father, I'm sorry, Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make Mary a public example, was minded to put her away privately. There were two ways he could have treated her. He could have treated her, made her a public example. That means they would have had a public hearing. And that means that she would have basically been put on trial. 
Remember, he didn't know the story. She knew that this was a Christ. She knew that this was of the Holy Spirit. She didn't understand it all, but she knew what the angel told her. He didn't know anything. So he's thinking, well, one option is we can have this public trial and I'll be released from it. People know I didn't have anything to do with this. I still love her. I can't be married to her. That's over. His heart was broken. The second option was to do it privately. Get two or three witnesses. And the Bible talks about it in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, during this betrothal time, and have a writing, a bill of divorcement, and uh, so that they, they could not be married. And he would be free. The whole emphasis here is that Christianity is always best manifested at home. What you are will always manifest itself in what you do. And will determine how God uses you. You can be an unremarkable man, an unremarkable woman. You can be an unremarkable teenager. And God can use you in a wonderful way, in remarkable ways. You know, um, nobody would have picked me. I wouldn't have picked me to do what I'm doing. You may not be smart, but you can be clean. You may not be the fastest, but you can live right. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal that the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And then he uses an illustration. He says, in a house, there are not only vessels, or, or basically different types of things that you eat with, gold and silver, wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. I mean, there's fancy types of Things you eat with, fine china. There's just old wooden mugs and wooden earth. And then some, some are honorable, some are dishonorable. But if you purge yourself from the dishonorable things, watch this, church. You will be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet or appropriate. Now pay attention to this. For the master's use. So God can use you. Prepared unto every good work. A remarkable life begins with a holy life. Thank God you don't have to be perfect. None of us are. You're going to slip up and fall. Impurity will keep you from living a remarkable life. Number two, unbelief will keep you from living a remarkable life. I already mentioned that Joseph didn't know what was going on. He just knew, man, I'm going to have to leave this woman that I love. We're not going to be able to be married now. This was my heart's desire. Notice in verse 19, the last phrase there, the Bible says he was minded to put her away privately. Notice the word minded. He's thinking about it. Look at verse 20. But while he thought on these things... He's trying to make sense of it. You ever been there? God gives you, put something into your life and you're just thinking about it. Lord, what's the end of this? How, why is this happening? 
and you're seeing it one way, and maybe that's not the way it really is, but the, the way it's given to you, you, you see it, and you're just minding it, you're thinking about it. While he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, he begins to talk to him, tells him, don't be afraid, because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Back then, God spoke to people in visions and dreams. You say, well, that's what I need then. No, you don't need an experience. You don't need a vision. You don't need a dream because you have this. God has given you his completed word. You don't need visions and dreams. When Peter, James, and John were upon the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter said, Lord, let's build tabernacles up here. And let's just stay up here all the time. Let's have a camp meeting. Everybody wants to live on the mountaintop. But life's not living on the mountaintop. I think you preached on this a while back, Daniel. The ministry's in the valley. When they left there, that's where the demon-possessed boy was. Ministry's in the valley. Thank God for mountaintop experiences. The ministry's in the valley. Sometimes people criticize churches because, well, I'd rather go to that. It's just always a mountaintop experience. Well, the ministry's in the valley. And he's thinking about this. He's thinking about this valley experience that he's going through. And the angel comes, he explains it to him. Now, let me give you the contemporary of that. The Word of God speaks to us. He said, well, preacher, I'd rather have an experience. I'd rather have that mountaintop stuff. Let me show you what the Bible says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you. This is Peter. He was on the mountaintop with Jesus there when he was transfigured. We made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That means when Jesus was transfigured. We were eyewitnesses. We saw this. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from this excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Remember all that happened, Matthew 17. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. Pay attention, we heard. We heard this when we were with him in the holy mound. Now watch this next line. We have, Peter says, also a more sure Word of prophecy. Don't miss that. We got something better. We have a more sure word. The word sure there means stable, firm, and steadfast. You know what he's saying? I've got something better than experience. And it's the word of prophecy. It's the word of God. And notice the next line there. He says... Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Now listen, friends, listen carefully. Unbelief will keep you from living a remarkable life. Now your thinking, your thoughts will lead you astray. Beware of where your thoughts lead you. They can keep you out of the will of God or lead you out of the will of God. You know this verse. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. 
Lean not unto thine own understanding. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Now he's very careful to say that. Because your own understanding is not going to make sense to you sometimes. In other words, your common sense is going to violate what God tells you to do. God's going to tell you to do one thing and it's not going to make sense to do that. I remember when uh, I was in Bible college my second year. And, and by the way, sometimes other people will tell you things that, that aren't correct. And I got a call from a friend of mine and he said, actually, I spoke to him in person. He said, my brother uh, is working in a chapel ministry and he needs somebody to play the piano and work with the young people. Would you uh, go help him? Well, I, I owed this man that asked me a lot. And I didn't, really didn't want to go, but I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go help him. And I thought, well, I'll go help him a month because I owe this guy. And uh, so my friends found out about it and said, you don't want to go do that. So those are small churches. You don't get paid anything. They're, they're storefront churches. They're just little churches. And they begin to throw cold water on it. And my, my friend's brother came to pick me up, and I went there one Sunday and the next and so forth. And it was an unremarkable church with, to be honest, really unremarkable people in a very unremarkable town. I remember one Sunday we had a lady that got up, and this was before soundtracks. And the pastor said, she's going to sing. She got up and hit, she brought her little tape player up there, and she hit play. And she couldn't sing at all. And it was some bluegrass group. I can't figure it wasn't your group, Eric. It's somebody else. Somebody singing uh, on the wings of a snow white dove. But it wasn't the track. It was the group singing it. So she just sang along with them. Well, I was on the front row because I played the piano. Well, I'm the kind of guy that I laugh at everything. This is not a good thing. So I got tickled, and I, I, the pastor was on the other side, and I said, I can't look at him. I can't look at him because I, I don't want to make fun of this woman, but this sure is hard right now. And I'm just shaking up there on the front row because she's just singing, and her heart is full. I mean, that's the kind of church it was. It was a very unremarkable church with an unremarkable piano player and unremarkable youth director. But that's where I met my wife. And that's where I learned the discipline of preparing two lessons every week in addition to my other studies at school. God did a, a remarkable work and gave me a remarkable gift in that place. And then when I was in Virginia and uh, God directed me to come to this church and I told folks about it. Oh, you don't want to do that. Well, that's a little church. You're leaving a big church to go to a little church. Somebody drove me around the night before I resigned around Washington, D.C. for several hours trying to talk me out of it. You can't do this. You just don't do this. You, 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 at least you move laterally. You go up. You, you don't go down. 
That's a little church. You can't do that. It was very difficult. The Bible says, trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding or the understanding of others. Listen, you ought to seek counsel sometimes. I believe that. But all counsel is not equal. You get into trouble when your thoughts are not tracking with God's thoughts. The Bible says in Psalm 103 and verse 7 that he, God made known his ways unto Moses and his acts. A-C-T-S unto the children of Israel. You see, Israel saw what God did. They saw his acts. Wow. Ooh, look at that. Well, that gave me the shivers. That made me feel good. But Moses saw his ways. You see the difference? Israel saw what he did. Moses knew why he did it. Joseph and Mary didn't just see what God did. They knew why God was doing what he did. There's a difference. Now, are you listening to me? Are you listening? Until you get the ways of... This is the currency. The currency are the ways of God. And I'll tell you again, this is one reason you need to be in the Word of God. And you need to be under the teaching of the Word of God so you'll understand the ways of God. Because if you do not understand the ways of God, you're going to go the ways of the world... And you're going to make decisions according to your own understanding. And you're going to end up in some really uncomfortable places. Isaiah 55, 89, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. There's a chasm here. There's a difference. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. What are you thinking? You see, what the angel said didn't make a lot of sense in terms of natural laws. It would have to be a miracle. But it made sense because it was what God told them. Now, I love what, what, what the angel told Joseph. Notice in verse 20. Behold, thou son of David, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Listen, when you're in the middle of a hurricane, when, when things are coming around and you don't know what's going on, and God's asking you to do something pretty scary, you need to hear a word that says, hey, it's going to be all right. Fear not. Somebody told me recently, they said, uh, I was going through something really terrible. And you sat down with me and we talked. They said, I don't remember anything you said. But I remember one thing you said, and you told me, you said, you said, Rick, you said, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I told him, I said, I learned that from my daddy. My daddy used to tell me that all the time. I'd say, son, everything's going to be okay. That's just another way of saying, fear not. You see, Joseph didn't have the wherewithal. He didn't have the end. But... He said, fear not. Unbelief. Unbelief will keep you from a remarkable life. Now, I'll mention the last one. Disobedience will keep you from a remarkable life. Disobedience. Just not doing what God's asked you to do. God was very clear about what he wanted Joseph to do. I want you to notice in the Bible, 
Notice in verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised up from sleep, this is so powerful to me, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. He did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. Boy, that's powerful. He just did it. He said, yes, sir. And he did it. It was simple. Joseph was a great man. I don't always do that. I wonder how many remarkable things I miss because I keep waiting to understand it and figure it out. But he did. He did what God told him to do. And there were three instances of obedience here. Notice in verse 24, he took unto him his wife. He took unto him his wife. Now, what you understand, this was an ex- expensive obedience. Now, again, it cost, it cost Mary his wife, even though it was a betrothal stage. There was no sexual relationship. But he said, okay, I, until I, I'll stay married to you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to divorce you. And then after this, this period of time, we, we will have the official marriage. He took unto him his wife. And I want you to understand something. Listen, it cost Joseph for the rest of his days. Say, what do you mean, Rick? During Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees said something to him. In John chapter 8 and verse 41, here's what they said. They said, Jesus, ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not, watch this, we be not born of fornication. We be not born of fornication. And why did they say that? Because that was a rumor. They began to mock him. Hey, we're, we're, we're not born of fornication. We're not bastards. You are. If they said that about Jesus, what were they saying about Joseph and Mary? They were saying similar things. But in their faithful obedience to God, listen, your, your obedience is going to cost you. And then I want you to notice that he restrained himself, verse 25, and he knew her not till he had brought forth her firstborn son. He restrained himself. And then he, he gave up the right to name the, the child. Verse 25, and he called his name Jesus as God commanded him to. Called his name Jesus. He was obedient at every single point. Now look, when God asks you to do something, okay, on the other side of that door is something remarkable. You get it? Okay, over here it may be really unremarkable. But once you obey... There's, there's something good over here. I'm not talking about money or fame. I'm not talking about that stuff. These folks never got rich. But there's something good. But you've got to obey, and it's going to be hard. And you may have to give up some rights. But you can live a remarkable life. You know, it said like father, like son. Of Joseph, it's like son, like father. He was very Christ-like. He was very godly. Someone said, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. 
Just leave it to God. I want you to look in your Bible in closing in Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 12. And being warned of a God, being warned of God in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. That's Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And when they were departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Here we go again. So they're on the road again, living by faith again. And he says, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. This, this is six to seven hundred miles away. And be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night. He departed into Egypt. There it is again. Faith and obedience. Just doing what God told him. Look at verse 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Here we go again. Faith and obedience. Arise, take the young child and his mother, go into the land of Israel. For they are dead which sought the young child's life. And Joseph arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. You know, this was an amazing man. It, we, the Bible doesn't say we read pretty much everything. There's a few more things about him, not much. But he just, he implicitly obeyed the Lord. He just trusted God. And God trusted this man with the oversight of his son. Now when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he looked down, the Bible says there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother Mary. But Joseph wasn't there. And one of Jesus' last seven says, he says, John, you take care of mother. Joseph wasn't there. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to him, but most Bible teachers believe. Because the last time Joseph was mentioned is Luke 2 when Jesus was 12 years old. That Joseph died sometime in Jesus' teenage years. And you may look at this man's life on the outside and say, what a waste. What a waste of a good man. But a man's life is not determined by its duration, but by its donation. And this man made a significant contribution to the upbringing of the child of God. Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? He loves you this morning. He was virgin born. He was a pure, sinless sacrifice on your behalf. And another question, do you want to live a remarkable life? Well, you're going to have to have those three things. You're going to have to have a holy life. You're going to have to have implicit trust in God. You're going to have to trust the Lord. And you're going to have to obey the Lord. Now, the good news is you don't have to be perfect, but you're going to have to grow. And any one of those things can just, be, can just halt us, admire us in mediocrity. I don't want that for you. I want you to bow your heads with me, would you?